Romans chapter 8, and truly one of the great chapters of the Bible. If you're familiar with your Bible, it's one that we go to often, and I'm hoping to uh, give an overview of uh, the entire chapter this morning. Of course, we won't be able to cover everything here, but uh, let's just start reading with one verse here in verse 29 uh, of Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. One more time. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, this verse is really what we would call a synopsis or a summary of really the entire scope of what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Now, uh, we're, we're not going to waste a lot of time this morning, but uh, 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 we, every time I have opportunity, I want you to know and we want to uh, make a difference. Uh, we are not Calvinists. Uh, we don't believe that God predestinates people to damnation and others to salvation. Uh, this verse answers that question. It says, for whom he did foreknow. God knows the choices that you will make. And those who will choose salvation, he has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a goal. He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. We use the word Christian. In fact, you'll read in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians at Antioch. Uh, that was Antioch in modern-day Syria. Uh, there was a church there primarily of Jewish believers. And uh, it began to grow. And uh, Peter then took the gospel in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles. And the church in Antioch responded in like. And uh, the church there in Antioch had such a, uh, a testimony in that city that they were trying to figure out who these people are. And they began looking and studying. They said, oh, they're, they're Jews from Jerusalem. They said, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of Jews that live in Antioch and they don't behave like they do. There's something different about them. They're not just Jews. And by the way, there's Gentiles in their group. There's non-Jewish people in this group as well. They're, they're not Jews. They're different. They said, well, there was this Jewish leader named Jesus. They call him the Christ. And these people worship him. They said, oh, well, what did he teach? You see, what Jesus taught was not a mystery to anybody. It was readily available. And they said, boy, they just act like little Christ. We'll call them Christians. That's where the name came from. It was not something that we chose for ourselves. It was something that the world said. These people name the name of Christ and they follow Him to such an extent that we're going to call them Christians. That sounds to me like that church at Antioch, a majority of people in it, found the truth in the verse that we just read and were so conformed to the image of Christ that it was recognized by the world at large. And they gave that name Christians. Now, we're here in this church today. And I would dare say that, uh, at least speaking for those who have taken time to become members of our church, that your desire is to have this verse fulfilled in your life. 
To be conformed to the image of Christ. To truly be a Christian. Now, I want to ask those that are striving toward that goal. How many of you had some struggles this week? Uh, how, How many would say, Pastor, I could use a little more joy. In, in my life. Uh, I could use a little more happiness. And, you know, the Bible talks about blessings. And how many say, I could use a few more of those. And nobody here? Everybody's good? I mean, how many say, if you say, just raise your hand or say amen, I could use some more blessings in my life. I, I would like some more of those things. You see... The last part of this verse is we are to be conformed to the image of His Son for a purpose. That He might be the firstborn among... Now, what's that next word in there? I have it memorized, but what's that next word? Say it out loud. Let's try that again. Among what? Many brethren. Now, what's brethren? That's family. Brothers. Jesus, God wants to conform us to the image of His Son, that Jesus could be set aside above, on high, as the firstborn... The firstborn among, wanted to get that word right, among many brethren. Now, when I grew up, I just had two younger brothers. That was our whole family. Now, our family is a little different than that. Uh... My family, our children, my wife and I, we, uh, I think our sons could actually say, uh, I am one of many brethren. And uh, there's a group of them. Uh, there's more than one. And uh, each, each one, uh, I like to say it this way just to confuse people, each one of my uh, sons, I have six sons, and each one of them has six sisters. No, there's not 36 kids. There's only 12. And I'll tell you what, when we get everybody together, it's noisy. And especially with little Peter running around now, grandson. And and, uh, I mean, I, I look forward to when we can just have everybody together because there's a lot going on. I mean, there's 15 conversations going on at the same time, and everyone thinks that in order to be heard, their voice needs to be a little louder than the one next to them. Every once in a while, I just go, whoa! Let's calm it down just a little. Turn the volume down. And pretty soon, it just starts raising again. Where would you be without it? You know... It's that way in our church auditorium after service. People get talking to each other. I love the noise. You know why? Because it's people dwelling together as brethren, which is what the Bible says ought to happen. Over the years, there's been a few people who said, you know, I'm not... I've not made any friends at the church. And I said, well, you've got to come early before the service starts because that's when people make friends. And when we say amen, stick around a little while. Somebody will talk to you, I promise you. We're New Yorkers. We like to talk. No. We like to talk because we have things in common and we spend time together. And as you spend time together, you will make friends. If you leave before the service is over and come after the service starts, 
There's no time for fellowship to spend. Jesus said, I want to be, God's purpose is for me to be the firstborn among many brethren, that there'd be many people who would identify with Jesus Christ who would be noticeably different from the world in which they live. Now, we just went over this, that if you're really trying, if you're really moving in that direction, there's a struggle. And it is so easy to get so involved with the struggle to do right and be conformed to the image of Christ that we lose the joy that God has for us each and every day. What's the book of Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what? The people had heard God's word and they understood one thing. It was way up here. And their life was way down here. I mean, there was a lot that needed to be fixed. It was a time of Rebirth for the nation of Israel. But they had already been in the city of Jerusalem 150 years. The temple had been going when Nehemiah showed up. And the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down. And the people still were not paying attention to the laws of God and serving Him in the way God designed. And when they heard the reading of the law, they said, we are in great distress. We're never going to get there. And I've had many people over the years, Pastor, how in the world am I supposed to live what the Bible says? It's so far above where I am. Well, the answer, very simply, biblically, is verse 29 that we just read that we would allow God to conform us to the image of His Son. Wouldn't that take care of a lot of those problems? And a lot of those struggles? Let me tell you, I want, I want you to be challenged today from the Bible that that is the solution that God has in mind. By the way, who does the conforming? Uh, God does. It says, God the Father has chosen... He has predestinated. He has planned. Isn't it a sad thing that God went to all that trouble planning? And we sometimes don't allow God to fulfill His purpose in our lives. I mean, that's really what this verse is. If we take it the other direction, that's what it's saying. You see, God has planned. He has predestinated. He has got a purpose and a direction for the life of every person that names the name of Christ. Now, we have some enemies, and they're spoken of in other parts of this chapter. Our first enemy is the flesh. That is what you see in the mirror. That is your sin nature, the real you that dwells within you. There's, there is a battle there. Uh, uh, we, we blame the world and we blame the devil, but I'll tell you who we really need to blame is our own flesh. James chapter 1, you're tempted when you're drawn away. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Yeah, I know the billboards make it easy. All the advertising and internet and computers and, I mean, everything you do. Uh, uh, it makes it easy to be drawn away of your own lust. But that lust still is inside. That's your enemy. That's who you fight. It all comes down to a simple word. Pride. You know, you wonder why the educators of our day this is not everyone, but mainstream education in our day has stopped teaching knowledge and thought process to our children, and they're more, they're more concerned with self-esteem. You know what self-esteem is? That's just another word for pride. 
you know, why, why do we need to believe in ourselves when we can believe in God? There, there is a difference, my friend. I mean, it just terrifies me and my soul when I hear people from our government saying, we will handle this situation. We have handled it in the past. We will handle it again. Whoa, wait a minute. Where is your faith? I'll tell you what, that's an awful poor place to have faith. Remember one preacher said, he said, you believe in yourself? He says, all you got to do is trip on the sidewalk and knock a hole in that thing called a body and all the sap will run out and you'll die. Now, we don't need to get more explicit than that, but I mean, this body is awful frail to put your entire faith in. That's one of our enemies. The world system in which we live is an enemy. Everything about the world in which we live. Get all you can, can all you can get. Well, what are you supposed to do with the cans? I like that one preacher I don't like. I like to make fun of him. He said, take life's lemons and make lemonade. How many of you have ever made real lemonade out of real lemons? Uh, it takes a lot of work. You, you've got to have a lemon squeezer. I, I know you men think you're strong enough to and squeeze. Uh, you, you have to have one of those little things that puts a cone up in there and just compress it, get all the juice out. And, and you have to have a pitcher to put it in. And by the way, if life has handed you all these lemons, where in the world do you get the sugar? I, I never heard Mr. Peel talk about where you get the sugar. I guess you're just supposed to imagine it. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you this, you can imagine all you want that that lemon juice is sweet, but if you put it in your mouth with no sugar in it, uh, you're going to find out that your imaginer isn't near as good as you thought it was. Uh, I mean, you've got to have all these things. The world is full of platitudes and empty statements and, and puffing up of people. And we have one other enemy. We have the devil. Now, I want to just kind of categorize these enemies so we can think about them. The flesh is what's inside of us. It's our natural desires. It's the battle we fight on the inside. The world in which we live, that is how we expend our life force, our effort of living. It's where we put forth that which is in us, is in the world, and it's fighting and teaching us that we should go against God. Now, if you want to know where the devil works, the, the devil's not in the nightclubs last night. The devil doesn't work in the dark dens of iniquity. They've already given themselves over to him. There's not, the, the flesh and the world take care of that. If you want to know where the devil works, study your Bible. The devil's main desire is to short-circuit your worship to God. That's where the devil works. The devil's in church on Sunday morning. The devil's trying to get you to think of other things. Trying to get you to... Say, that preacher thinks he knows so much, I'm just going to leave. Well, you know, that's where the devil works. To try to dissuade you from hearing the Word of God. Now, we have enemies. The flesh, the world, the devil. But we have a Savior. Which is Jesus Christ the righteous, the King of kings. The Lord of lords, before whom all knees shall bow, professing that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
They're going to drag old devil, the old devil himself up before the throne of Jesus. And he is going to bow his knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says that everyone's going to do it. All these world leaders, all these people think they have all the answers. They're going to bow before that throne. You're going to either do it willingly while you're alive here on earth. Or you're going to do it under duress before the white throne judgment seat of Christ in mortal fear of what's going to happen as soon as you do. Which is going to be condemnation to the lake of fire forever and ever. It's going to happen. And you know what the most wonderful thing about our Savior is? Never as He had to raise a physical army to fight a physical battle for His testimony. You know what the number one black market item is what they tell us in the former Soviet Union before it fell? Number one black market item. Not Levi jeans. It was the Word of God. You know where this book goes, freedom goes. Because there's a great Savior. He has paid for each and every sin that your flesh will or ever will commit. He has given us, through the finished work on the cross, rest from our works so that we are not fighting the world. What we're supposed to do is be walking in the footsteps of the Savior. And He is the only one that will get the glory and the worship. When it's all said and done. He is the victor in all three places. Now I want you to come down to verse 31. And and most of us in here, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you know these verses. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Could we say amen to that? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Could you say amen to that? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to those wonderful verses? How many of you knew these verses were in the Bible before I read them to you? Uh, then why were we discouraged this past week? I mean, if we know these verses are in the Bible, why do we struggle so hard? And I'm speaking myself as well. Well, I think what we need to do is back up a little bit, and I purposely did it in this order. Now, let's go back to verse 25. And, oh, let's pick up verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what hath, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Can I talk to you about hope just a little bit this morning? You know, we forget our hope. I believe it was in the late 70s, there was a, 
uh, defector from a Soviet ship, and he actually claimed to have taken part in persecution of Christians, and and uh, it was in his interaction with these persecuted Christians that led him to faith in Jesus Christ. He was a naval officer, and his ship was in the Bering Sea there, uh, uh, just south, uh, uh, actually south of the Bering Sea proper, off the, the coast of Vancouver there, and and uh, they were several miles out to sea, and he had been planning and hoping and praying that somehow he could defect from the Soviet Union and, and get free of the bondage that was there. And uh, he realized that this five or seven mile swim, whatever it was, was going to be as close as he was going to get. Well, he made it to shore. And the Canadian officials uh, took him in and he told their his story and they're sitting there going, that doesn't make sense. And so they fed all the data into a computer. And the computer said there is no physical way that this story could be true. He could not survive that long in the water. And what they were afraid of was that he was a Soviet spy that was planted with this story so he could get information or whatever. I don't know how in the world they figured that one out. but And so they go to him and said, now admit that you're a spy, admit that you're a liar. And he said, I'm not, I'm telling you the truth. He said, well, what haven't you told us? You haven't told us something. He said, well, I prayed a lot. They said, well, wait a minute, we'll come back. And they put that in the computer, and the computer said, prayer does things in the human body to allow it to exceed human limitations. Hope will allow you to do things that are absolutely impossible otherwise. That is a physical fact. Now, my question is, where is your hope? You know, when we struggle with life, the first thing that the devil would like us to do is lose sight of the hope of our salvation. You know, when Jesus saved you, he saved you completely. That doesn't mean that you can go out And just do whatever you want. If you have that mindset, if you have that thought process in your heart that now I'm saved, God will forgive me for all my sins and do anything I want. The Bible says you never had what the Bible calls salvation. But I'll tell you what, believers in Christ can do a lot of bad things. Read the life of David. Uh... Just get alone, you and God, and go over your thought process for the last ten days. You'll find a lot of things there that don't match up with this book. And the devil would love nothing more than to get your attention on how badly you compare to the Scripture instead of having your mind on the hope that when Jesus saved you, he knew every sin that you ever had or ever would commit. You see, that hope is my salvation. That's what it means. It means that I never have to despair. I never have to give up. No matter how many times I fall down, His grace is there to lift me up. Why do we lose our joy? in spite of all the fact that we know these things, it's because we forget the hope that is our salvation. I'll tell you what, everything in our society today is against hope. How many of you remember when you were little kids, just before Christmas? Well, it's about right now. Is anybody old enough to remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog? 
I mean, that thing had always come to the house. And who got it first? Well, the kids did. Oh, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Christmas is coming. And there was hope that something good would be there. Now, if we can hope for Christmas, why can't we hope for the Savior to save us? Why can't we just allow our minds and our hearts to be refocused by the Word of God? It says here, I mean, we've read those verses. In, uh, in verse 32, it says, He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. If Jesus was will, God was willing to give Jesus for our sins, what wouldn't He give? He gave Himself for us to die on the cross. There is nothing that God will not give except... He will not allow you to scoff at His gift. He wants you to have hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now let's go to the next two verses. Likewise, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now there's a part in our prayers, if you're truly saved, if you're believing in God, there's a part in your prayers that only the Holy Spirit of God can accomplish. Now, I know there are other churches and groups that teach that they groan with the groanings which cannot be uttered, but I would just like you to understand something or think about something today. If the Bible says those groanings cannot be uttered, then how are you doing it? Oh, It's the Holy Spirit. No, it says they cannot be uttered. Isn't that what it says? Those sounds are made between the Holy Spirit and God the Father. You have nothing to do with them. But I'll challenge you, most of us never get to that point in prayer. Because we're not hoping for what we ought to hope for. We're hoping that things will just be a little easier. Or that I feel like something good is going to happen. Somebody wrote a song like that. Uh, I'll tell you what. God isn't interested in our feelings. He wants our hope to patiently wait for that salvation that we shall receive when we exit this life into the presence of God. And our life force is supposed to be spent in prayer. God talks to you through this book. When is the last time you actually make contact with God in your prayer life. Where the Holy Spirit was actually speaking on your behalf. You say, how do I know that happens? Well, one of the ways you know that happens is when God answers prayer His way and you're happy about it. You say, well, what if God doesn't answer prayer my way? Well, get your way fixed. Uh, that's what needs to happen. Amen? You say, well, what if I don't want what God wants? Get your water fixed. It's broke. If I am hoping for the things that God wants me to hope for, 
I'm going to be in agreement with the Spirit. Because He makes intercession according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows where my heart is going. And He knows what the will of God is. And what He's trying to do is bring those two things into line. Because when they line up, God answers prayer. God cannot help but answer prayer. Because God wants His will to be done. What's that will? That we be conformed to the image of His Son. That Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. That there would be people that live here on earth in such a way that God could get glory and Jesus would be willing to identify with them. And He has given us hope. And He has given us prayer. And, and look at the next two verses. In, in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. How many of you believe that? We know that all things work together for good. Now, here's where it gets ticky. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And this is the love of God, that we love the children of God. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Why do I do that? Because my hope is in one day being with the Savior. And you know what that hope does? It makes me want to change the way I live right now so I can be prepared for eternity. And then when I start praying... I'm actually praying for the things that God wants to accomplish instead of what would make my life a little easier. Because my life is not important anymore. It's His life. It's because He wants me to be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, we know what God has done. I would dare say there's not a person in this auditorium that does not know the story of Jesus and the cross. The fact that Jesus died on the cross, not as a martyr, but as the innocent suffering for the guilty. He died in our place. And when He was on the cross, the last thing He said before, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit, was, It is finished. See, that's where my hope is. It's not in me. It's in Jesus Christ. That's where my prayer is. Now, sometimes as a human being, I just feel compelled to pray. Lord, we just put this situation or this person in your hands and ask your will to be done because I don't have enough sense to know what to pray for. But there's a lot more times that God would really like us to say, Lord, I understand what you want. And I am praying for that right now in Jesus' name. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It means to ask God for things that Jesus would ask for if he were here, if he were standing in our shoes. We, we seldom get there in prayer because we're too busy with our eyes on the world. We're too busy with all of the battles we fight with the flesh. Uh, we're too concerned about what the devil may be doing to put our hope in Jesus Christ and to simply pray. Amen? Oh, me? That's where we are. And that's why we don't have our joy. Because God will do His work in our lives. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, you've got to be in that category. And to them who are the called according to His purpose. There, there are some people, I would dare say, sitting right here in this auditorium, if they actually were conformed to the image of Christ, they'd be the most miserable person in the world. 
because it would mess up everything they're trying to accomplish in their life. Now, my first thought would be somebody like that needs to get their salvation checked out. Number two, the second thing they need to do is once they take care of that issue is they need to surrender to God. Because His purpose is best. You cannot get any better than God's perfect will for your life. You just can't do it. There is nothing greater that you can achieve. I've heard people say, I'm I'm so afraid that God's going to take my kids and my grandkids across the world as missionaries. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'd rather them be across the world as a missionary serving God and living at home and not. And by the way, if you really want to handle that thing, you got to start when you can still carry them. Because I, I want my children to be conformed to the image of Christ. I didn't know what I was going to do during Sarah's wedding. I had these fears that I'd just blubber up and down the aisle and slobber all the way through the sermon. And, and uh, as the day approached, I, I said, now I've got to start getting ready for this. And I said, well, what, what am I getting ready for? I started getting ready when we brought her home from the hospital. You know, I actually enjoyed doing the wedding. I wasn't giving up anything. That was the next step in her will for God's for God's will in her life. Oh, I wish she were back here. But I'm more happy for her there. Going forward for Christ and their their plans right now and their hope is uh, that. Five, six years down the road, they're going to be on deputation and go into Africa to serve the Lord over there. Are you going to miss them? Oh, yeah. But see, my hope's in the Lord. And if conforming to the image of Christ means they have to go to Africa, well, then all things work together for good. And you see, you can keep your joy no matter what. On the other hand, if you're out there manipulating and trying and striving and trying to make things happen for yourself and you get into trouble, you can't say all things work together for good. If you cheat on your income tax and you get that knock at the door saying, hey, we're the IRS and we'd like to help you figure this thing out right, That's not going to work together for good. I'm sorry. Because you didn't get there loving God. You see, He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that in the ages to come, He can get glory. Verse 30, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. You see, even as a pastor, there are times when I get frustrated and discouraged. And I have to remind myself some things. Hey, wait a minute. Is my hope in accomplishing my to-do list this week? Or is my hope in being free from this world and being in the presence of Christ one day? Well, that changes the scope of everything immediately, doesn't it? Is my effort going into straightening things out or is my life effort going into prayer according to the will of God? You know, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer doesn't make God do things. My blood boils every time I think of it. Somebody gave me years ago one of those Frank Peretti novels. Oh, I got so angry. Because it portrayed God as 
a powerless God who was empowered by the prayers of his people. Actually had angels telling people, well, God can't do anything yet because not enough people were praying. That's blasphemy, my friend. God is all-powerful. God does not need your prayers. But God will not answer your prayers to help you be more disobedient to Him. God will not answer your prayers unless they're going to bring glory to Him and accomplish His will. Prayer changes you. Prayer changes me. Prayer is that humbling process which sometimes I need to grind out that flesh and stamp out its desires so that I can actually pray according to the will of God. Sometimes praying means just shutting up and letting the Holy Spirit intercede for you because He knows what to pray for. You see, then I can know that all things work together for good. Because His plan is, He, he, called, he predestinated. Why? Because long before there ever was the name Montoro, he knew that on August 28, 1977, an 11-year-old boy would finally stop praying prayers and ask Jesus to save him. That's when he saved me. And he knew that when I turned 16, he would call me to be a preacher. And he planned to bring me here to Astoria. And he planned to build this church right here as it is today. And he wants to be glorified in it. Because he's good. Because he's God. Because Jesus is to be the firstborn among many brethren. Why have we lost our joy? When we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that He has given us all things, that His power even in death is more than conquering what is in the world. We know these things. Why don't we live? Well, our hope is in the wrong place. But you don't understand, Pastor. I'd just like to have a little bit of peace in this life. You cannot have peace in this life. Unless you have peace with God first. You just can't have it. It's never going to be. You're not going to ever have what you want as an easy life until you stop trying to make your life easy. And start getting Jesus' strength to live day by day. That's get rid of self. Death of self. That takes care of the world. Amen. And if you want the devil to leave you alone, worship God. He runs the other way. He can't stand that. Your protection is in worshiping God. That's what the devil wants to short circuit. And as long as he has a hope, of doing that through anything in your life, messing up your prayer life, turning your hope aside, allowing you to doubt that God is working good in your life, that His plan is to His glory and will be the best thing for you. If the devil can have a point there, he's going to be there. And he's going to stay. And he's going to work his work until you can no longer worship Christ. But let me tell you, you lock your life and your heart into a worship relationship with God. You're untouchable. That's what these verses are talking about. Jesus was able to endure the cross despising the shame because He was doing it to fulfill the will of God. Read Psalm 110. 
Read the book of Hebrews. If he could endure the cross, why can't we put up with fill in the blank? All God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, we've been dealing with great and exceeding precious promises in your word. Lord, I just ask that you'd help us to live them. Lord, one thing is for certain. If we surrender our heart to do these things, the flesh, the world, and the devil are going to be there to try to derail us during this coming week. We ask, Lord, that we would keep our hope where it belongs. Our hope is our salvation. That Jesus will take us from this world and usher us into His presence. Lord, our prayers would not be our prayers. But Lord, we'd be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to pray according to Your will. Lord, that we would never doubt the fact that you are working good in our lives to fulfill your plan so that you can be glorified. Lord, the privilege of being used to bring glory to God. We ask that we might think and meditate during this week on the fact that Jesus wants to be the firstborn among many brethren that we would be among that number. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.